Um, I want you to turn with me in your Bibles to Revelation 21. We're going to start there tonight. And Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would speak to us, that you would stir us in faith and give us revelation of the things that you want us to know concerning your kingdom and what you have given us access to. And Father, I thank you that we have this opportunity to be able to serve your kingdom right now and to be rewarded in your kingdom now and in the future. And I pray, Father, that, that this would be a great motivation to our faith and to our life as, as we seek to serve you, Father, that it would be with purpose and intent and excitement because of what you've given us to be able to do. And we just honor you in the name of Jesus today for everything that you are to us and that you want to be to us tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. I just wanted to um, make a couple of comments to you this tonight about what's in my heart to be able to minister to you tonight. And I'm probably going to continue this over a few Wednesday nights, but I'm really excited about it. So I'm kind of depressed about that, that I'm excited about it, because a lot of times when I'm excited about a message, it's like a complete failure. Um, and so, you know, it's like most time I come up here and like, God, I don't know what to say. I really need your help. And somehow the Lord just gets me through it. And a lot of times, those few times I've come, I know what I want to say. This is going to be so good. And it's so bad. And I'm just like talking to myself the whole time I'm preaching, just shut up, sit down, let them sing and let's go home. Um, anyway, I, I know you're not supposed to say that as a, as a preacher, right? And so, but anyway, it's just the way it is a lot of times, but I, I'm, I am excited about this and, and I, I pray that it will provoke you to study, uh, to get into the word of God and really hear what God is inviting you to. I th- I'm so thankful that the things of God that he wants to give us and the places that God wants us to go. And the things that God wants us to achieve are not to the strong and they're not to those that are fast, but it is to those who are walking in the spirit. And that just simply means that whatever it is that God has for you to do, God wants to accomplish that through the Holy Spirit in your life. And the rewards that God intends to give you are all possible, not because you're stronger than somebody. And not because you're quicker than somebody else, not because you're smarter than somebody else, but because you're relying on the grace of God to be able to accomplish through your life what God wants to accomplish. And so if you enter into heaven by the skin of your teeth, that's your choice. And if you enter into heaven with a full reward, that is your faith. That was the work of grace in your life. There's nobody going to enter into heaven, you know, beating on their chest of what they did. But they will testify of what God has done through them. Paul said that I am what I am by the grace of God. And his grace was not given to me in vain. So God's grace can be given to you in vain. Because you don't labor with it. You don't allow it to have an effect in your life. You come week after week. You come day after day. You hear the Bible. You hear preaching. And you become desensitized to that. But yet, if you will take these things that God is trying to give you through his word, through preaching, through the church, and through friends, edifying you in your faith, and will do something in faith with that, then grace is not given to you in vain. But it is a very powerful thing in your life, helping you to be everything that God wants you to be. And again, grace is the activity of the Holy Spirit in your life. 
Grace is the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. Grace is the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Grace is the new life that we have in Jesus Christ through his Holy Spirit. And so it's just really believing that the Holy Spirit is able to do through my life everything that he wants to do. There is no impossibility. There is, there is nothing that I can say to the Holy Spirit, you can't do that through me. You know he can do it through you. <clears throat> and so I just want to encourage you with that. I want you to understand that when Jesus came to earth, he came for more than just being able to take people out of earth. He came to earth to make a declaration that I am coming to take over, that this world is mine and the kingdoms of this world are mine. When Jesus went to the cross, he went to the cross declaring, now is the God of this world cast out. And in the cross of Jesus Christ, he soundly beat principalities and powers. He exposed them openly and spoiled them and made a spectacle of them while he was on the cross. And that just simply means that the kingdom of God, when Jesus came to earth, that the kingdom of God was being introduced, fleshed out, if you will, through the life of the Son of God. And Jesus was making the declarations that this kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. And it's not just the place that I'm going to take you to. But this kingdom is not only of heaven, but it also will be of earth. And guys, we are joined to the kingdom of God. As a, as a matter of fact, the Bible says on a number of occasions that our citizenship is in heaven. That's, that's the country we belong to. We're citizens of heaven. We are members or citizens of the heavenly Jerusalem where God is now. The Bible says that we are to set our affections on things above, not on the things of this earth. We are looking for our king to return. We are a kingdom people and we are the subjects of a king. And so we celebrate this because our king is the Lord. Our king is Jesus Christ because we have put our faith in him and we have been born again. If Jesus is not your king, Lucifer is your king. There is no in-between. And so salvation in so many regards means that you have been saved from Satan's kingdom. And you have been brought into the kingdom of God. That is part of your salvation. But I think it's a part of salvation that a lot of times we're not really aware of. We just think that I've been brought out of death and I've been brought out of sin. And when I die, I'm going to go to heaven. Thank God that is true. But it's just very small part of what our salvation actually is. And let me say this to be very, very clear. I believe that the only time that the, the actual kingdom of God taking over the earth, filling the entire world with peace, and the whole earth being filled with the glory of God like the waters cover the sea, is when Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace, actually returns to earth himself and puts an end to the satanic rule and the satanic influence that has infiltrated this world. That will be done at the return of Jesus Christ. We as the church are not going to take over the world. We are not going to initiate or bring in the paradise and the global peace that we long to see one day. Jesus will do that when he returns. But it doesn't mean we don't have a fight in this. 
And it doesn't mean we don't have a part in demonstrating God's kingdom on earth while we are here. And this is what I want you to understand, because this is really what's so exciting to live for. And I pray that you will understand that. Now, in Revelation 21, what John does is John connects the kingdom of heaven with the kingdom of earth. John makes or or shows us that these two kingdoms are going to be one in the future. And I want you to read this with me In, in John Revelation 21, verse 1. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. He sees these together. It's very important. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away. And there was no more sea. No more these large bodies of oceans that we have in the world. And I, John, saw the holy city. The new Jerusalem. Coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. So there's this great city in heaven that is going to be removed from heaven. And it is going to be relocated to earth. Some vicinity of earth or, or or however that's going to look. But it's moving from there to here. John is connecting heaven and earth in the future. That when Jesus came the first time, he came to take over. And he is going to take over. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. God's dwelling place is with men and he will dwell with them and they shall be his people and God himself shall be with them and be their God. A city is going to be transplanted from heaven to earth and God is going to tabernacle there. God's location is going to be earth. You have to understand that. If we can understand the significance of our life today. And it talks about how God's going to wipe the tears away. No death, no sorrow, no crying, no pain. Former things are passed away. He makes everything new. And I wanted you to just notice, if you will, a few more verses in chapter 21. It says about this city in verse 10. He carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain. And showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. Having the glory of God. This is a really large city. It's 1,500 miles high, 1,500 miles square. It's very large. And it has the glory of God. And her light was like unto a stone, most precious, even like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. And had a wall great and high, and had twelve gates, and at the gates twelve angels, and the names written thereon, which are the names of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel. Now, it goes on to tell us in chapter 21 that these gates are solid pearl. They're very massive and large, and they're solid pearl. There's an angel at each gate, and written into the gates are the names of the patriarchs of Israel. 
And then I wanted you to notice this because he talks about the foundation of this city, which I also think is somewhat remarkable in verse 14. And it says, and the wall of the city had 12 foundations and in them the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. So written into the gates are the patriarchs and written into the foundations of this city are the apostles of Jesus Christ. I just want you to picture that. Here are these massive gates of pearl eternally written into them is Benjamin and Judah and Naphtali and and these, these patriarchs of Israel, these, these men that left their mark, not only in the world, but they left their mark in heaven. And the foundation upon which all of this is sustained is written in those foundations, the name of the apostles, Peter and John and Matthew. And they're written there, all of them in these foundations. I just want that to kind of register with you for just a moment. For where I want to go with this in just a moment. Because I think it is extremely significant for us to realize these things. I want you to understand that the kingdom of God is a kingdom of power. And you're going to see this in just a moment. That there were the apostles that recognized that the Messiah's kingdom was a kingdom of power. And they asked for a position of power at Jesus' right hand and left. And Jesus let them know in no uncertain terms, you don't know what you're asking for. You don't know the cup you have to drink in order to sit there. Now, I want you to look at a few of these things with me. And I want you to understand this as we begin to turn to Luke chapter 18. That the resurrection of Jesus Christ proves that heaven is going to take over earth. There's a testimony in Jesus' resurrection. And it proves that heaven is going to take over earth. And Jesus will be the king. It's not just the resurrection so that people will be able to have hope that when I die I can go to heaven. But it is the hope that heaven, if you will, the city, is coming to earth. And God's taken over. Now in Revelation, or I'm sorry, in Luke chapter 18, the Bible tells us in verse 22. And I want you to read this with me if you will. Because this rich man comes to Jesus wanting to know what he needs to have eternal life. And Jesus says to him in verse 22, and I want you to see this and let's read it carefully together. Now when Jesus heard these things, he said to him, this rich young ruler, you lack one thing. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor. And you shall have treasure in heaven And come, follow me. Jesus is telling this man, I just want you to see this. Jesus is simply telling a man on earth that if you were to sell everything that you have and distribute it to the poor, you will have treasure in heaven. There's something you can do on earth to build treasure in heaven. Just realize that because that's what Jesus is telling him. Now, when he heard this, he was very sorrowful, for he was very rich. Now, I personally think that money was this man's God. 
And therefore Jesus was telling him to forsake his gods, which he was not able to do at the time. And when Jesus saw that he was very sorrowful, he said, how hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God. And here's Jesus talking about the kingdom. It is very difficult for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the needle's eye than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. And he's talking about the kingdom again. I believe this is something lost to a lot of Christianity today. There's very little talk about the kingdom of God. But Jesus talked a lot about the kingdom of God. And the apostles went forth and preached the gospel of the kingdom. And he said, and or the people, the disciples that heard him say this, asked the question, well, who can be saved then? They understood salvation to be a part of the kingdom. That being in the kingdom of the Messiah is salvation. And that is a, a great part of our salvation. We're translated from the kingdom of this world to the kingdom of God, to the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And he said, the things which are impossible with men are possible with God. Now pay very close attention to the conversation that follows between Jesus and Peter. Peter says, we've left all and followed you. And he said to them, Verily I say to you, there is no man that has left house, our parents, our brethren, our wife, our children, for the kingdom of God's sake. And, and I ask you to think about that. What have you done for the kingdom of God's sake? And, I, and again, I would say that we as Americans have a really difficult time understanding kingdom living. We have a very difficult time understanding the honor of a king and being the subjects of a king. We don't understand that. We have an inner protest against that. We don't understand the protection of a king. We don't understand the provision of a king. We don't understand the defense of a king. We don't understand the honor of sacrificing for a king. We don't understand the honor of dying for a king. It's foreign to us. To our detriment, it's foreign to us. And so, Jesus says, there's a lot of things that can happen for the kingdom of God. You can leave your house. You can forsake your parents, your brothers, your wife, your children. For the kingdom of God's sake. But whoever does that. They shall receive. Manifold. In this present time. And in the world to come. Life everlasting. In other words. Jesus is saying this. Listen to me carefully. Please listen to me. There is no sacrifice. That you are ever going to make. For the kingdom of God's sake. And not be rewarded for it. In this life and in the world to come. And yet, how often do we, even as Christians, because we're not kingdom minded, refuse to make sacrifices that are inconvenient for us and therefore 
many people, perhaps in this generation, will enter heaven by the skin of their teeth. They won't have much reward when they get there. I don't want that to be you. I want you to be able to have a great reward when you get to heaven. And so again, for verse 29, if you'll read it with me. He said to them, verily I say to you, there is no man that has left house or parents or brethren or wife or children for the kingdom of God's sake who shall not receive manifold more in this present time and in the world to come life everlasting. Then he took unto him the twelve and he said to them. Now this is still part of the context. And he says to them, behold, we go up to Jerusalem. And all things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man shall be accomplished. For he, speaking about himself, shall be delivered to the Gentiles. He shall be mocked and spitefully entreated and spitted on. And they shall scourge him and put him to death. And the third day he shall rise again. Now, only somebody that believes in the kingdom of God is willing to suffer so much, even to the point of death, because you know that death is not the end. There is a resurrection. And that is why I'm trying to stress to you that the resurrection proves that heaven is coming to take over. And the resurrection proves that Jesus Christ is going to be king. And that is the one that we get to serve. Now, very quickly, if you'll turn back to Mark chapter 10, there's Mark gives us just a little bit of information about another conversation that took place during this conversation with Peter. And so in Mark chapter 10, verse 35, it says, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, they came to Jesus saying, Master, we would that you should do for us whatever we ask. And he said to them, well, what would you that I do for you? And they said to him, grant to us that we sit one on your right hand and the other on your left in your glory, which is also your kingdom. We want to sit at your side, in power, in your kingdom. And Jesus said, you don't really know what you're asking for, and there's a cup that you have to drink. And so there is a cost in this. There really is. There's a cost in it, and a cost in having just such an opportunity to serve the kingdom of God with all of our hearts. I want to give you a few points out of Luke chapter 18 and Mark chapter 10. I've already highlighted these, but I'm going to just go back over them very quickly. Number one, what we give for the kingdom on earth continues in heaven. What we give for the kingdom on earth continues in heaven. There are two passages that refer to this in Luke 18. Jesus said to the rich young ruler, if you sell all that you have and distribute it to the poor, you'll have treasure in heaven. And another thing that Jesus said, if you leave... And you fill in the blank, whatever it is you have to leave for the kingdom of God's sake, you'll receive in this life and in the life to come. So whatever you give on earth for the kingdom of God's sake, it continues in heaven as a treasure and as a wealth. The disciples, secondly, the disciples understood salvation has to do with entering into the kingdom of the Messiah. 
That, in, in the minds of the disciples, that's salvation. In the minds of Americans, salvation is this. Do you want to go to heaven when you die and not hell? Then say a sinner's prayer and now you're good. <clears throat> but to the apostles, their idea is, I'm entering into your kingdom and you are my king. A third thing is this. Nothing forsaken for the kingdom of God will go unrewarded. But it will be rewarded here and in the life to come. The fourth thing is suffering and death are not the final outcome, but a necessary means of reward in the kingdom of God. Because this world is at war with God's kingdom. And therefore, all who will live godly will suffer. And the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force. And then last point I would make is Mark's gospel shows us that two of the disciples seek places of power in Jesus' kingdom. They were kingdom-minded, and they wanted a position in that kingdom. And so I ask you this so that you would be able to maybe begin to search your heart and your understanding of Scripture and your understanding of your relationship with God through Jesus Christ and the fact that God does have a kingdom and Jesus is the king. And this kingdom is an eternal kingdom that is coming to take over earth. And what you do in this life is continued over into the kingdom of God. We have a very difficult time reconciling that because we don't see that kingdom of God. It's much easier for us to make earthly investments because you can pull those up on your computer and you can see if your investments have gained or lost. And you can do that immediately. But when you're making investments for the kingdom, it's investments of faith. You're taking God at his word that when I'm, when I'm serving the kingdom of God, it is continuing for me into heaven. And, and I have no way to really measure that but faith that it is so. That it is happening. Just like Jesus would have faith in his father. That as he told the disciples. I'm going to Jerusalem. Where I'm going to be mocked and spit on. And I'm going to be scourged. And I'm going to be crucified. And I'm going to die. But I'm going to rise again the third day. So it's worth it. It's worth it. Because when I rise the third day. I'm going to be the king of the world. And I'm going to be the king of heaven. And I'm going to rule and reign. Forever and ever and ever. And the path of the cross is a necessary path in order for me to get there. And beloved, I pray that you would understand this as well. Only those who really believe in the resurrection are willing and prepared to suffer for the kingdom. One of the great aspects of your faith that you really believe there is a resurrection from the dead. And that you're going to live forever. It's a great aspect of evidence is that you are willing to suffer for the kingdom of God. You are willing to invest yourself in God's kingdom. <clears throat> the apostle Paul said, if in this life only we have hope in Jesus, we are of all men most miserable. This life of Jesus that we live involves suffering, but everybody who is born has to suffer. But we get to suffer with the hope of reward. And the laws don't. We live in a world that seeks to escape suffering. But kingdom minded people live in a world 
where they charge into the suffering for the kingdom of God's sake, we are trained to think unbiblically that if we come to Christ, we will not suffer ever again. That is an unbiblical thought. Jesus did not lie to us about suffering so we can be assured he's not lying to us about rewards. He's not lying to us about his eternal glory. Therefore, these momentary and light afflictions that we are going through are working for us an eternal weight of glory. Now, just consider what Jesus said for a moment. If you forsake lands and homes and brothers and wives and children for the kingdom of God's sake. How many people don't do that? How many Christians don't do that? Where are they tonight? Where are they evangelistically? Where are they in outreaches? And I'm talking about the motivation of understanding that what I do now on earth continues on into the kingdom. Therefore, I want to do everything that I can possibly do. So let's go to these passages in 1 Corinthians 15. This will be the last place that we turn to tonight. In this passage of scripture, Paul talks about the resurrection. Because this is the key and central thing of our motivation for the kingdom of God on earth. In 1 Corinthians 15, he says in verse 19, If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. Now why is he miserable if he only had hope in Jesus in this world? Because he's beat up everywhere he goes. He's rejected everywhere he goes. He's thrown into prison everywhere he goes. For the kingdom's sake. For the gospel's sake. Which is the kingdom's sake. And so this was Paul's life. He was hated. He was rejected. He was despised. He was in trouble all the time. He was in peril everywhere. And you would ask Paul, why do you do it? And Paul would say to you, well... If there were no resurrection, I wouldn't. But there is a resurrection. And I'm not stupid. I would rather lose the dung here and gain the reward there. You can laugh at me here and think I'm a fool for Christ here. But when you begin to walk into that city that God lives in and you see Paul. Written into the foundation of that city. You're not going to laugh at me there. And what's your name written on? Besides the Lamb's book of life. Which is great. You really want it there. And so he says in verse 19. If in this life only. We have hope in Christ. We are of all men most miserable. But now, is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept? Verse 30, and why stand we in jeopardy every hour? I protest by your rejoicing, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. I die daily. 
If after the manner of men I have fought with the beast of Ephesus, what does it advantage me if the dead don't rise? If the dead don't rise, let's eat and drink and be merry. But I can't eat and drink and be merry when I know the dead rise. I can't. I'm living for something that is greater than here. Here is temporary. There is eternal. Jesus has been raised from the dead. That means heaven is taking over and I want to serve that kingdom. That's what I want to do. That's what I'm going to invest my life in. So he says this. Now, if there is a resurrection and there's all of these sufferings in life and you want to join yourself to Jesus Christ and there's a resurrection... And it, it, it might fit in with a lot of the theologies of today. Just lay low. Your best days are coming. You're not wanted here. But you're wanted there. So just kind of be quiet. Don't rock the boat. Just just kind of be still with everything. So you don't draw too much attention to yourself and, and you know, just kind of cruise in. You've asked Jesus into your heart. You're saved. You don't need to bring a bunch of trouble on yourself. You don't need to stir people up against you. Just be calm. You don't need to be some fanatic for Jesus. You're going to be raised from the dead. You're going to go into the presence of God. And after all, isn't everybody full of joy in God's presence? Isn't everybody happy there? Yes, but everybody's not rewarded the same there. And that is not Paul's admonition because of a resurrection. That would be Paul's admonition. Live that way if there's not a resurrection. But if there is a resurrection, look what he says at the very last verse of this chapter. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be ye steadfast, unmovable, Always abounding in the work of the Lord. Why? For as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. What does that mean? It means there's a resurrection. Not only for Jesus but for you. Therefore... Abound in God's work. Be steadfast, beloved. Don't be moved by your labor for God. For you know that your labor for God is not in vain. There is a resurrection and you're going into that kingdom. And what you're doing here is building up for you things there. And this is what we have to understand. Believing in the resurrection leads... To the greatest works of the church of Jesus Christ in every generation. People that were kingdom minded. Did more for the kingdom of God and earth than anybody that's ever lived. You've heard the phrase, don't be so heavenly minded that you're of no earthly good. Impossible. What a garbage statement. The people that are heavenly minded are the most good for the earth. But very few people are heavenly minded. Very few people are kingdom minded. Our present life in this body is not valueless because you're going to die. But because God is going to raise you up 
The things that you do in this body have eternal value. What you do in this body in this moment matters for all of eternity. This is where you need revelation from the Holy Spirit. What you do for the kingdom today matters tomorrow. I don't want you to step into heaven and you say, my God, Lee was right. And I didn't take it seriously. You're going to wish to God you had because of what you could have had in the kingdom. Just imagine this. Imagine these gates of pearl. And written into these gates of pearl are the patriarchs' names. And the foundation stones of the city. And within the stones of that city are the names of the apostles. Don't tell me that doesn't matter. Because grown-ups are expending as much energy and effort and time and discipline as they possibly can for somebody to retire my basketball jersey and hang it in an arena. In a hundred years, they'll forget who the person even is. We're so thrilled if somebody names a bridge after me. We're so thrilled if somebody names a, a football stadium after me. I finally arrived. Or maybe some people really excel and their name gets put in, in the Hall of Fame. All to be burned up one day. You know how men run after these things. And here in heaven, when you walk into that city, you're going to read the name Matthew. You're going to read the name Judah. You're going to read the names of the patriarch. Where is your name going to be? What's your name etched on? What are you doing for the kingdom? How are you living your life for the kingdom's sake? So that everything that you can gain and everything that you can achieve is not for the momentary accolades and rewards of men. But for those things that are in heaven that are marked by what you did on earth and celebrated in heaven because you lived the life of faith and you lived the life of love for the king. What are you doing? What are you involved in? What, what, what are you being steadfast in? What are you being unmovable in. This is hard. I am tired. I am weak. I am weary. I can't take anymore. And the devil's nudging me. Just quit. And you rise up and say, no, I'm unmovable. This is not in vain. There's a resurrection. This is all for the kingdom. One day I'm going to step into it and perhaps I'll see my name there. And it's not for my recognition. But listen, Paul said there are rewards and a labor for them. They labored knowing these rewards were there. And the riches and the wealth of that kingdom that you can only build up in now in this life. 
So it's a very important thing that you consider that what you do today for the kingdom matters tomorrow. Everything. Preaching, singing, sowing, praying, prayer meetings, worship services. When they're for the kingdom, they, they, they could be for you. But when they're for the kingdom and your faith is in that, it's not a dead work. It's a good work because it's a work of faith, not a work of trying to merit something. But it's because you have the grace of God and you believe in it. And I want to serve the kingdom. Teaching, building hospitals, fighting for social justice in this world. For the kingdom's sake. Joining political campaigns. That would seek to cooperate. In such a way that it would allow the kingdom of God to function without oppression. When you do that for the kingdom. It goes into eternity. Being a part of political campaigns that work against the powers of hell. Serving those campaigns that fight against abortion. Fight against racism. Because these are the works of hell. And whatever else it might be. Digging water wells. Writing. Caring for the needy. Loving your neighbor. Tithing. Imagine every dime you give. Goes into eternity. Your service in the choir. Your labor in the tech teams, children's ministry, bags given out at LSU, those that stuff the bags so that they can be given out at LSU, food storage, cleaning, straightening up, food for the sick, packing shoe boxes, joining prayer groups, home Bible studies, writing cards, volunteering, ESL classes, whatever it may be, when you're doing it for the kingdom of God's sake. It is going into eternity. You're not doing this just for today. You're not doing some mission of the church to put a band-aid on the cancer. Because you know in your mind that the world is getting worse and men are getting worse and an antichrist is coming and it's all just going to go bad anyway. So what am I doing to improve? You're doing kingdom work. You're doing it. You're affecting it. Something is happening for the kingdom. You're the testimony of heaven's kingdom on earth. And because of you, it continues on from generation to generation to generation. It is the Christians who are kingdom-minded that have provided throughout the generations the social platforms and structures that have benefited people and erased in so many places of the world and in America, erased slavery and situations like that and the demeaning of women. It was the work of the church that did these things. And just because we know the world is going to get bad, do kingdom work. For the kingdom's sake, do that. Be a part of that. Because it's not in vain. Your labor for God is not in vain because of a resurrection. And you're going to be rewarded. You're initiating and affecting eternity in the kingdom of God by what you do today. It must be done by faith and in faith. These activities that you do for the kingdom of God, serving in the choir, serving on a tech team, stuffing a bag for missions, these things are not temporal. 
They're not temporal ways of trying to have some momentary purpose in this world. They are eternal with eternal purposes. All of these activities that are done in love are part of building up the kingdom of God. It is the mission of the church to be kingdom minded. It is the fuel of the believer to know there's a resurrection. And nothing that I do for the kingdom is in vain. The church's mission today is not just some labor by which we try to be involved in far today. But it is central to the kingdom of God. It is not an opportunity to join a mission project if it fits into my schedule. And no big deal if I don't. For everybody else is happy in heaven and I'll be happy when I get to heaven. You will be happy when you get to heaven. You'll rejoice that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. But some people's names are written on the foundations. And some people's names are written into the gates. And some people are going to have a great reward. And some people are going to get in just by the skin of their teeth. How do you want to get in? What do you want to do? And again... Beloved, this race is not to the strong or to those that are fast or to those that are brilliant and smart and intellectually capable. All of this, all of it, is right there in grace. The Holy Spirit giving you the power. Well, I don't have a million dollars to give. That woman had two mites and Jesus said she gave more than everybody else. God's measurements are not like the world's. But for the kingdom's sake, serve the king. Stand with me. Let's just take a moment tonight and worship. Let's worship the king. Let us desire this. Listen, if in this life only. But it's not in this life only that you have hope. There's a resurrection. So what are you doing for the kingdom's sake? And if the race is not to the fast and the strong and the smart and the intellectual, but it's by grace through faith, then why not ask the Holy Spirit to just come upon you and give you vision, give you power, give you anointing to do everything you can to serve the kingdom to give you the joy of serving the kingdom the happiness of serving the kingdom the reward of the kingdom to drink whatever cup it is the king wants you to drink to suffer for the kingdom to rejoice for the kingdom to be glad for the kingdom just begin to ask the Holy Spirit to come would you draw near with me in this altar please just draw near with me just come Just put some action in your faith for a moment tonight.